My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page Two Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. Today, we speak to Dan Eng, SEO manager at Revzilla, a brand that has been referred to as the Zappos of motorcycle gear by the Chicago Tribune. Before ultimately getting into SEO, Dan was an SAT math teacher, an insurance salesman, a copywriter, and many other things. We talk about how he crisscrossed the country from New York to Jersey to San Francisco to Philly and finally Delaware. We also talk agency versus in-house, fighting bouts of imposter syndrome, and much, much more. So gear up as we tell Dan's SEO story. Hey, everybody. We're here with Dan Eng, SEO manager at Revzilla and Cycle Gear. How's it going, Dan? Hey, it's going great, Jake. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, yes. Thank you for, uh, for jumping on so late in the evening. I, I know I personally just put my, put my kids down. <laughs> Not sure about you, but uh, I appreciate you uh, being willing to jump on, and I'm sure you've worked all day, so talk shop uh, yet again late at night. Hey, it's always ha- I'm always happy to talk about SEO. It's really a pleasure to talk to you today, and honestly, it's an honor to be a part of this Page Two podcast. Cool, cool. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. So let's talk about you. So who are you? Who is Dan, Daniel, Daniel Ang? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm um, an SEO, as you mentioned before, the SEO manage for, manager for Revzilla and Cycle Gear. Uh, I've been really in this game for 10 years now. A um, little bit about me. I grew up in northern Jersey, so... Jersey local and uh, I've bounced around a ton and I owe it a lot to SEO and I think it's just such an interesting field to be in. I've lived in, well, of course, New Jersey, but I've also lived in Manhattan, San Francisco, Philadelphia, all just doing this job. And then now I just bought a house in Delaware this past year. So I'm still working in Philly, but I live in Delaware. So I've covered a bit of the, the Eastern seaboard here and um, also just gotten to drive through America a couple times and just been to a bunch of fun places because of this job. That's funny. So you live in Delaware State. I live in Delaware, the city. <laughs> um, yeah, so I live in Delaware, Ohio. That's mm. funny. Um, so Manhattan, Jersey, Philly, California, San, San Francisco, I should say. Uh, which one of those was your favorite? I, I get that question so much, and I love that question because I have sculpted my answer for it, and I'm really prepared for this one. Uh, each one was my favorite for that age group, <laughs> for okay. that time in my life. I was in Manhattan in my young 20s, um, just after getting like a real job in, yeah. in, in Manhattan. And uh, yeah, that was super fun. Just It was a job with Digitas Health, so you got taken out a lot. I remember days when we would when they would just have the entire Nike store rented out, bring in um, a bartender, a bar, and uh, just all this Mexican food or something, and you could just make Nikes, and that was your you know entertainment for mm-hmm. a Wednesday stuff like that. So 21, 22 year old Dan was just like, this is great. Unlimited funds, playground, <laughs> like New York's a big playground, everything yeah. like that. Then I started to really kind of like develop into my SEO career. And oh man, San Francisco blew my mind. I would go to meetups out there and it was just another level. Like I, I, I actually find it a little bit difficult to find something comparable in the Philadelphia scene just because of the, mm-hmm. the how tech heavy San Francisco was. And, and there was a ton of energy. Everybody was really young 
in New York City was a lot of like old and old uh, information and old systems and, and just kind of like hammer away at this machine until you got what you had done. And uh, San Francisco was like, let's try things differently. Let's be innovative. And uh, as much as I hate the saying now, everybody's like, let's disrupt everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Five-year-old Dan, real gung-ho, hitting my quarter-life crisis. <laughs> and then uh, back to Manhattan after that eventually. Um, got a great job there and just had to, had to come home and, and take care of some, some family stuff. Uh, and then, uh, is that job that I got back in New York actually was super fun too because uh, I started kind of becoming more of an adult, getting closer to 30 than my 20s. So mm-hmm. a lot of that was another look at New York where I wasn't seeing it as this big playground, but this huge networking place and just huge uh, opportunities to do charitable events and things like that or just like speak. Uh, I used to just step in for an adjunct professor at NYU to talk about SEO and teach from student to CEO, which was really interesting to me where like there was no age limit to this class. And it was like six hours of talking in front of a room on Saturdays. And I just wouldn't have had that opportunity elsewhere. You know, people didn't really trust people in their young twenties to do that talking like in front of a class of people. But as I started getting a little bit later on, really, really helped on. And then honestly, I love uh, Philly. It helped me with my savings. <laughs> yeah. It helped me buy a house this past year in Delaware, where it is pretty much tax haven in America. So uh, I, I feel like each phase of my life has been like super defined by where I've lived. And I like, one, I don't know how it would have been anywhere else, but honestly, I don't look back with many regrets. Yeah, that sounds, man, that sounds like, an, like especially me coming from just the, the Midwest and not really leaving the Midwest uh, very often or for very long. Um, man, that sounds like a really interesting and, and fascinating um, journey. And it, it sounds like maybe now you're, you're settling, settling down and, uh, and settling in, but I can, I can also attest that, Hey, if I, if early twenties, Jake, now early twenties, Jake was not, not a professional guru of, of of anything early 20s jake was a was a bit of a train train wreck um but man it would have been so cool to um to be in a place in a place like that and at a job like that um would have been would have been awesome and now like mid 30s jake can't wait to get to bed at eight o'clock or nine o'clock and like that's my that's my jam getting to bed getting <laughs> at eight o'clock after i've put my kids down and just like okay i'm done I can completely relate. Uh, my New Year's resolution this year was to not was to be home mm-hmm. every other weekend, not be out back to back weekends and yeah. seeing friends and like partying or like going out to something or another. Just because like once I got the house, I was like, I feel like I haven't put any work into it for a couple months. Yes. Like the first month, just because life happens and every weekend is kind of booked up, and then weekdays you're working, and then you come home kind of tired. So. Mm-hmm. To get like nice, take out the old blinds and put up the new blinds, and now I'm like, okay, every other weekend, this is 31 year old Dan. He's gonna stay home every other weekend and do what he has to do. Yeah, and and I and I find as I get older, I turn into more and more of a of a homebody. And um, so my my parents, um, they're they're pretty pretty young. Uh, my like honestly, my dad, I think they had me when he was in his in his 20s. So he's in his 50s. He's not that much older. Um, older than older than me, um, and I remember distinctly, and he had to have been about my age at the at the time, making fun of him for gardening, <laughs> gardening, and now here I am in my spare time gardening and working <laughs> working on my house, 
uh, and stuff like that. And it's, it's funny. Um, yeah, it, it's funny how much time you try to make to, um, to get that, to get that type of stuff done. And, uh, yeah, it, it is funny how busy the, the calendars can, um, can get if you, if you let them for sure. Um, so tell me more about your, more about yourself, like personal, personal facts. What don't people know about you? Sure. Uh, let's see. I am a six, three Chinese American. <laughs> I'm very tall. I'm super broad. I'm just like super athletic dude. And like that comes as such a weird surprise to people. Cause they had this like mental image, um, in their heads about like, just kind of, uh, what a, a Chinese guy would look like. And I kind of break that mold for a lot of people. And, I've always been this tall. <laughs> so that's something funny to me. When somebody's like, oh, you don't seem Chinese. I'm like, I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so that's always one thing that like catches people a little bit off guard if they haven't really met me yet. I remember I was uh, grabbing lunch um, just with a, a friend's uh, VP of like marketing just so he could pick my brain a little bit about SEO stuff. And uh, his whole thing was like, you're going to find me. I'm the guy in the green sweater. I'm sitting here, X, Y, Z. I'm like, just look for the six three Asian guy. <laughs> you probably saw me in this crowd. <laughs> Got it. Locked in. That's funny. So I'm sure you get the que- you get the question. Do you play basketball? Can you dunk? Like oh those types of things. Yep. So I I'm get there. that, and I'm the worst basketball player I've ever seen. <laughs> there, you, there you go. <laughs> That's funny. So that that so you go against, I guess, the stereotypes in um, in both ways. Oh yeah. Tall Definitely. and can't play basketball. Awful, awful hand-eye coordination at that. <laughs> so how, how'd you get into SEO? Oh, man. Um, there's going to be some ups and downs with this, but honestly, um, I think just listening to your podcast, I have a very similar story to yourself as well as some others. Um, I graduated in 09 from Lehigh, uh, marketing, mm-hmm. marketing major, psychology minor, and it was a little bit tough getting a, a good job. Um, kind of felt like I did everything right, uh, you know, went to college, worked hard, didn't fail out, like, or just, you know, I felt like there was this like, equation to getting it done. But uh, honestly, when I got out of school, I, I just started working. I was eager to work, and uh, I was working three jobs, actually. Um, I was tutoring SAT math uh, at, at a place called Tutor Time, not too far from my parents' house. Um, I also got um, a couple licenses to sell insurance, which I personally don't advise for a lot of people. I was selling Medicare supplement packages at like 21. Like I feel like there was like a little bit of a, um, a communication issue happening when I was talking to folks, um, even though I knew all the current laws and that's kind of what I was trained on and got tested on. Yeah. Uh, and also I was um, a freelance copywriter for a company called Pedosa and they worked on getting uh small and medium sized companies to go green because of uh, explaining, creating content about tax credits and the values of going green for, for different businesses. And honestly, just like doing research and reporting on what was cool and new. I remember my favorite article I wrote was about a rocking chair that was a powering a light that was on it. So you could rock and read and like, or you could rock for a while and then just like powered the electricity battery for like the light bulb above you. And, um, honestly, uh, it was the CEO at Pedosa who asked me, hey, Dan, you know, pulled me aside one day. He's like, do you know how to write SEO-optimized copy? I just lied. I flat out said, yeah, man, I've been doing it for a while. Like, it's back of my head. <laughs> like, you know, I just was like, yeah, I got this, man. I'm 21, hot-headed. I can learn anything on the fly. And honestly, I just started going for it. I started reading Rand Fishkin's blog. I started reading uh, Search Engine, everything. You know, I just started Googling everything. And, uh, and then I just started picking it up from there. And my real big break came when I started looking for SEO jobs. There was a 
a company called LexisNexis, um, and it merged with Martindale Hubble in uh, New Jersey. And they're a pretty big name in the law field. So all those big brown leather-bound books in the back of lawyer commercials, those are all Martindale Hubble everything. And it's mm-hmm. a big search engine on its own, in its own right. But I was on a floor with about 40 SEOs at the time. And we were doing all different types of law firms. I had 40 plus law firms that I was working on, like their websites across the board. I was learning from people. I, I, I would say I learned more during my lunch breaks about SEO than I learned when I went home to go research it for another like three hours before bed, you know, mm-hmm. like three hours before doing whatever. And that's kind of how I just got into the industry. So how did you ultimately end up at RevZilla? Ah, uh, so... Um, while I was doing all these different jobs, I was still working a bunch of them and everything like that. Uh, I was actually freelance tutoring for my friend um, and she uh, was working at Digitas Health at the time. And then she got me an interview at Digitas and um, I, I, it was actually a really funny story because I, I interviewed for Digitas for a, an entry level um, like specialist position and honestly, they filled it the, the day before and they were having me in as a formality. But because of like, I was so eager and I just learned the lingo from so many other experienced SEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in there and I just kind of talked like I normally talk, but extremely confidently. And he's like, uh, the guy interviewed me, his name is Mike Russo, super smart technical SEO. But he, uh, he was like, honestly, we filled this position, but uh, I would like another person to interview you. And that's when Ulrich Bulo from Digitas Health came in. They only had a position open for a senior uh, uh, like a level beyond entry level. So mm-hmm. that was for um, a senior uh, specialist position. And then he, I got it before I could get home on the train. You know, he called me. Nice. He gave me that. And then um, after Digitas, I I worked for a short stint at a, another place in New York called Catalyst Online. Then I got out of pharmaceuticals. I went to a boutique agency called Red Bricks Media in San Francisco. <laughs> so this is going to be a long story. Uh, it got swallowed up by um, another company called Geary LSF. I worked for them for a little while with the transition. And then I moved back to New York uh, and I worked for a company called Elite SEM. Mm-hmm. And great, great company. Love those people to death. And they're super smart, really on it. They keep on winning awards for a reason. Um, and then uh, I, I moved to Philadelphia with that company because they had a Philly office, but they didn't have a team built out there. So I saw my opportunity. Uh, the New York team was saturated. The Atlanta team had enough people. They were trying to look higher there. Mm-hmm. Um, LA team was pretty far away from things. Um, and they were like, Philadelphia could be our next spot. So I went there, built a team. And then um, after doing that for a while, you'll notice that my whole history was agency life before this. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to try in-house. And that's when Ed Zatusky, um, I think we both know him, he's a good good guy. Um, he pulled me in, uh, got, got, got in touch with me, and he works at RevZilla to this day. And, you know, I see him every single day. And that's, that's really how it came out of a request where – I opened, I opened the door to, to not working for Elite SEM anymore because, honestly, that was, like, one of the best agencies I ever worked for. And I was like, you know, I'm kind of getting a little bit burnt out on the, con- on the client life, like, dealing with all these clients. So yeah. maybe there's another opportunity out there. And then, yeah, this one was kind of like – Revzilla was, like, one of my good clients. You know, they had yeah. an in-house YouTube studio. They had content production nonstop. They're writing multiple articles, just great pipeline of information. It was founded on SEO from one of the three founders. So like the, 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 the groundwork was already there, you know, mm-hmm. when you like with Google motorcycle helmets, you see, you know, Revzilla right up there, number one for like every single thing motorcycle related. And I was like, yeah, these, these people, they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, I want to be a part of that. So you brought up a couple of 
interesting points that I want to circle back to. Um, one, just now, agency versus in-house. Uh, seems like you've, so you've been at RevZilla because I uh, scoped out your LinkedIn profile for a couple of years. So I think that's enough time to render an opinion on um, in-house versus agency life, having experienced both. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess, which do you like better and what what was your experience in terms of the difference between the two? Uh, I would say I liked agency side better the younger I was. As I started aging up a little bit, I wanted something with a little bit more stability, more home life and things like that. So honestly, I learned way more at an agency or at any of my agencies just because there were so many developed teams built out and there's like a lot of... Um, have you ever experienced this where a client will just email you something and be like, what's this about? Like, should I be using this for SEO? Should like, yeah. All the time. <laughs> every time. I think everybody as a CEO gets that. So like on top of the in-house learning experience, you had multiple clients hitting you up like, what's the schema markup mean? Do I need it? <laughs> like, you know, and, and things like that. It's like, I just heard about this. Uh, do I need uh, do I need amp pages? <laughs> and like, yeah. uh, that was a really great like chance for me to like, I, I have one of those like, um, super inquisitive natures where it's just like, I hear about it. I want to know more about it. I don't want to come in super underprepared. So I'm going to do my research on it before answering that client. And uh, that kind of put, puts you on a spot where they're like, you can't leave them hanging for 48 hours. <laughs> you got to research, do on the fly, make an opinion and put it out there and not be afraid of kind of having to say later on down the road, Hey, I got some new information that original opinion was actually, you know, 95% true. Here's the 5% difference and, and move on from there. Um, right now, I've been at RevZilla for two and a half years, which beats all my agency time pretty much. Like, a, mm-hmm. this might be like right at the line of the, my time at like Elite SEM of like two and a half years or so. And uh, I honestly, I love it to death. I think there's pros and cons to both, and I think you have to find a good in-house because I've heard too many horror stories of bad in-house positions for SEOs where um, you know all they're doing is reporting; they're not making results. All they're doing is getting stepped on by five managers who don't really understand what they do. And kind of get just every day's a battle. And then there's the agency side where like eight out of 10 of your clients are really, really rough on you. You really don't love agency life. You know, yeah. you have a healthy mix. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I, but to me, I think almost every young professional should think about an experience that kind of, kind of puts them on, on their toes a little bit like that agency life, you know, don't get too complacent. Yeah. I've talked about it um, a little bit with my own journey. So like, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite, uh, and I don't know why, like, I can't put my finger on exactly why it is, but the, the couple of times that I've been in-house, I just haven't, haven't liked it, and um, I think a, a component of that is feeling, um, to some degree, isolated uh, and not having other people there that kind of get what I'm doing or why. Um, so having, you know, working with smaller teams, sometimes it can be, at least where I was, um, a bit of a slower, slower pace. Um, whereas, uh, and I, 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 you know, with the, with the agency side, I, I think I've well chronicled, um, much faster pace, but you're, you're absolutely right in that there is more, um, more risk involved. And, and as I get older, you would think that I would become more risk averse, <laughs> but I, but I haven't, I find that I personally thrive, um, in what I call agency world, um, even though there is there is risk, and I think that for me, there's something that just makes me very happy about being around other people 
in the industry. Uh, whereas the couple of times I've been in house, it's been very, very small teams to the point of like being completely isolated teams. Mm -hmm. uh, we got good work done, but at the same time for me, it just wasn't, wasn't as fulfilling because nobody understood what I, what I did. So, mm -hmm. um, let me ask you something, Jake, yeah. um, on the agency side, are you like heavy on the sales support or is it kind of like a different department yeah. that does sales and then you kind of, you come in with the technical audits and the, the content audits and everything like that? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. So it's search discovery and it was this way at, um, at Rosetta and Razorfish, where we made, in my opinion, our, well, not in my opinion, in fact, where we made our, our most money was through existing relationships and building those over the course of time and making sure that every year the client renews and, and we look for new opportunities to engage, engage with them or ex expand our relationship based upon their their needs we certainly don't like force it force it on them right um i wouldn't recommend something that i didn't think that they needed just for the sake of um selling more money but so so those are that's one of the main the main areas that we focus it's not traditional bd but it's once you get in with a company and you prove that you can do good work it's a matter of keeping that relationship going uh as well as looking for opportunities to expand and improve the, the relationship and, and become truly become a partner instead of a vendor. Uh, and then I think the other side I do, and, and this is where agency life I think can get hectic from time to time is BD does come in. Um, and sometimes it can be a little bit of a hair on fire sort of exercise that like everybody will always say billable client work always takes priority, but then the BD stuff comes in and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, we got to get this done by Friday, no matter what clients expecting it or the, mm -hmm. this potential clients expecting it. So like, it's kind of a wink, wink <laughs> sort of, sort of situation. Um, but yeah, I, I get a fair amount of BD and it, and it's both BD in terms of identifying, Hey, is there an opportunity scoping the opportunity? And sometimes I get BD where it's like, Hey, we've already, we've, we've already, um, you know, scoped and we understand the opportunity. What we need you to do is, is an audit and we need you to find, uh, find whatever issues may exist with this site so that we can go say, Hey, um, you've got some issues here. You might want to, might want to, um, do something about them. And I, I don't find that I personally care for, for that style, um, of, BD and of sales because I've, I've had it done to me is in, in, I don't care for it, especially when I know that they've already got an SEO vendor, because as, as, um, as somebody that's been doing this for quite a while, I'm sure you've experienced this. Um, you, you're, you're working on a client and you kind of, you know, the situation, you know, the limitations, you know, where you have opportunities and you know, where you, where you don't have opportunities and you'll always get these, um, these BD things or, or these things sometimes where clients will come to you and say, Hey, we were talking to this other agency out there and they said our, all of our meta tags are off or our, they said our SEO is off or this mm -hmm. isn't done or that isn't done. And it kind of undercuts you because that, that outside source, like, sure, maybe you've identified those things and you know that those problems exist, but you can't get them pushed through from an implementation standpoint because of whatever the limitation is. But they don't know that. So they're coming to, to 
uh, the boss of the person you're working with, and then that person is then forced to bring it to you as if you're missing something when most likely you're not. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily um, like I you know in not saying search discovery does that we definitely we definitely don't or at least I haven't done it yet um, where we go in and, and undercut somebody. Um, but yeah, I do get I do get a fair amount of B, BD work, and we do have salespeople. Um, but I do get a fair amount of BD work where it's scoping and sometimes auditing, but typically not when they have a, an SEO vendor in place already. Totally. It, to me, it kind of sounds like, um, like the majority of your workload is almost being an AOR or agency of record kind of like status. So like, to me, that's the right. you can be to in-house before being in-house. So it does sound like there's a little bit of like, it does like you seem like you favor that like style of being a, uh, partnered up with teams instead of just like solid work and then handing over something to maybe get implemented at some point if they, if they free up the tech budget or something. Um, The the least favorable part, at least with your company, it sounds like there's a healthy mix where it's probably not the dominating, um, it's not dominating most of your time, but there are other agencies out there where BD is a very big part of the uh, account manager's responsibility. Yes. um, There's a lot of foot soldiers at some agencies where it's like, there's, these are the entry level to one to two year SEOs that you are going to be managing. You're leading sales. You're doing like the initial audit with the help of this team of people, but you're the one presenting it. And you're also that main point of contact so, like for any midnight calls that they might have about something. And that's, I think, what kind of starts to wear on the SEO's brain because they're like, I came here to do technical stuff. I, I came here to be a content manager. I came here to do this, this, this. I'm doing that maybe 40% of the time. And that's when they start thinking about like, Oh maybe if I was just in house, I'd have teams for this. I'd be the guy who I'd be the guy. I'd be the guy that everybody came to. And was like, what do you have to do? What do I have to do to make uh, Google like me more? And then, you know, I think that's kind of where people start testing out the waters. But like I even said yeah. before, there are good in house jobs and there are bad in house <laughs> positions. And <laughs> I, sometimes I think about my best client as an agency person and my worst client. And I'm like, I would be, losing my mind and ripping my hair out. If I worked for that bad client 24, yeah. like 24 seven, like I was just always at their SEO in house and, and always just kind of talking to their, their people who didn't understand SEO all the time and trying to under, like get them to understand that, you know? So that's kind of where my take on that is where it's like, yeah, I totally agree. I love the actual SEO portion of it and you know, the sales, I see the necessity in it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't want to be on the SEO side when the sales dry up and then your clients leave. That's, um, that's never fun. But then I, I also get what you're saying with respect to, um, client. If you think about, sometimes I think about the, the clients, well, not sometimes, a lot of times I think about <laughs> the perspective and I, I try to empathize with, um, with their, their teams and kind of what they're going through and some of the battles that they have to fight internally to get certain things pushed through. And I think about being at an agency, right? You have to be ready to shift, not just mindset from client to client, but mindset set from one type of business to another type of business. And you have to be ready to be an expert in like 10 different types of business at any point in time in, in any day. Um, in, in, that can in and of itself can be challenging and difficult. But then I think about some clients I like to work on and, and they genuinely interest me. And then there are other clients who they, 
they're in an industry where it just is no matter how you slice it, it is, it is not interest, interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, I feel for clients that, you know, when they're in house and, and that's, that's what they've got to focus on um, all day, all day, every day. And for me, that would be, I think um, that, I think, I think that would be a struggle for, mm-hmm. for me if I put myself in the shoes of one of my less interesting clients um, I, I just don't know if I could do it. I completely agree. I, uh, I always like to think about how it might be funny too, that we're probably throwing like SEOs are throwing off machine learning from Google because we look at so many various topics throughout the year. I spent six months learning about incontinence <laughs> because right, of right. and then the next, like, you know, next six months I'm learning about diabetes and blood pressure and like just nonstop education so I could pass the med legal review and like just kind of like make content suggestions that don't like make you waste a quarter before the next round of review. So take me back to you were speaking at NYU to you said a bunch of CEOs for six hours. That's a long time to talk. Uh, How did you do that? and, And why? I would say a lot of them weren't big time CEOs. I'll say that a lot of them were like, uh, they had their own businesses and they were coming to, to a class at NYU just to learn a little bit more about doing it themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the questions became when you started going through the uh, 101s and everything like that, right over people's heads, you know, that's not, that's not, they didn't want to get too nitty gritty and technical. They wanted to ask you, they came with some questions in their mind that are pretty applicable to them personally. So yeah. when you start opening up the floor to be like, Oh, and does anybody have any questions? I'm here to help you as a resource and, you know, not just talk to you, but talk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you couldn't get them to stop at six hours, you know, like people yeah. have so many questions and, and it doesn't stop at SEO because once you start delving into the local SEO realm, there's like just that whole other world of it too, where that is a huge part of local businesses and local business owners and, you know, maybe people who might be hitting that like past the startup phase, but trying to become medium sized, like those mm-hmm. types of CEOs too, they really want that next level information. So I, I don't think it ever became too short on the, uh, um, too short on the session because it was always like somebody would have another question. And if not, I could always go back to my slides and then go back into uh, what is Google's official statement on like Google plus and like social backlinks and things like that. And like, you know, the, the, the stuff that you'll read in every single blog article, that's SEO 101. So one theme that has come out of just about every episode that I, that I've put together thus far has been the idea that like we all have come from completely different backgrounds and from completely different places in part because there isn't a great system in place to, you know, at least when you think of traditional education to educate people on SEO, would you, I guess, would you agree with that assessment? I completely agree with that. (laughs) With those classes, those were on Saturdays. People weren't there Monday through Friday doing that kind of stuff too and trying to learn about it. So this wasn't that even that long ago. So maybe things have changed a little bit now, but um, honestly, we're we're going to be onboarding a co-op from uh, from a university nearby, and uh, I asked if he knew SEO specific stuff, and he's like in math and and learning about marketing and everything like that. He's like, no, not really. There's not like a ton of classes out there. I, I know of it, but honestly, I don't know the nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah, if you want, it seems like if you aside from just getting in somewhere, if you want to learn SEO, like 
it's the, the, the path to learning it is the same as it was 15 years ago. You have to read, honestly, you have to go in and dive in and read, read all the, all the blogs and all the publications and uh, trial and trial and error. And it's actually quite shocking. And I've been, I've been thinking to myself lately as I see kind of new, new people get introduced to the, um, to the workforce and new people started, started, started my company and, the new people who started at the last company and, and, you know, everybody comes with these really nice marketing, marketing degrees. And it just, I, I've yet to see one who's like ready day one to jump in and tackle big SEO problems. And for me, it's like you, you go to school to become a doctor. When you come out, you're a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to school to become a dentist. When you come out, you're a dentist, an engineer across every other profession. When you come out, you're ready to work. And in digital marketing, you come out and you expect to be, in my, at least in my opinion, ready to do the job. And there, there's just such a gap there with respect to when you actually start to throw those. Now, now don't get me wrong. Most of the people that come out are, are, are smart people and get integrated and up to speed quickly and within a couple of years are kind of doing, doing their thing like they should. But uh, I've yet to meet the person day one who is ready to roll Mm-hmm. I'm ready to lead SEO strategy on like a major client coming right out of college. It's kind of shocking. Yeah, I think a lot of marketing becomes that too, just in general, because like you have to learn the unique marketing needs of the company you're working for or with. Yeah, sure. So just a ton of that. Actually, you want to hear a funny story about marketing as a major? Sure. Um, I was uh, I, I played rugby in college, and a bunch of my rugby buddies are engineers. And one day we were just, uh, you know, filling up a gas, like our gas tank. Uh, we're going to somewhere. I don't even remember where. And uh, this older guy just starts talking to us. And uh, he's like, oh, you guys are college kids. Man, I remember when I was your age and everything like that. Just telling us, uh, you know, some of his war stories of being in college while we're both pumping gas. And he's like, oh, what, what are your majors, kids? And it's like chemical engineer, chemical engineer, mechanical engineer marketing he's like i'm in marketing you picked the wrong major kid <laughs> you you get out there these guys these engineers will all have jobs and you'll be you'll be wandering the streets with a cup he could see like the physical disappointment in my face when i heard him say that and he's like oh you know what you're you, you're probably super smart kid you know uh, i'll probably be working for you one day <laughs> and then he drove off and freaking left me there and i was like oh well, no, my motivation to, to finish up strong here. And you, know, like, you probably came out and had a job and then all the engineers didn't. <laughs> they all stayed an extra year at college because there was no engineering jobs and they all become, they got their master's in energy efficiency sciences. Nice. <laughs> it's nice. pretty funny. So tell me about some of your biggest successes. Um, let's see. One of my bigger ones has to have been... A little bit gray hat. Is that uh, is that kosher on this? Totally kosher. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, I got one of my clients when I was in San Francisco, ranking number one for free movies, free movies online, free uh, online movies, free TV, t- free TV shows, free TV online. Every single one of them, I got them to the number one spot. It's a little bit shady because it was an old WordPress plugin that uh, used to suggest uh, a link if somebody was writing about something. And because movies cover so many different things, it's like. Hey, this person's writing about Batman. Watch a link to this, uh, you know, movie streaming service. Uh, they have Batman, <laughs> you know, or like something like that. And like, oh man, all the links came in within a six month time frame. I blew that contract out of the water and I got them like, I got them so much business. And I, I checked back actually the other day, kind of preparing a little bit for this. And I was like, 
oh man, they're either bottom of first page or off completely. <laughs> and like for a while, that was a huge win for me because I was like, I think I got this SEO thing down. You just pay another person and they get you a ton of backlinks. Right, right. You so, pay a, some widget to do this work for you and you got it. So would you do that today knowing the long-term ramifications? Absolutely not. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I, I am um, white hat to the T, especially in-house. I think uh, that's part of the selling point of um, when you interview around too. It's like, I'm going to future-proof your website because I stay on top of this. So yeah. That's kind of the point nowadays. So one of the thing, I don't know if you've been noticing lately, I've been noticing people like Rand Fishkin specifically, like just getting, abrasive's not the right word, but more and more and more over the course of time and Google even pushing, pushing back more and more. Um, going against what they what they say and saying like don't don't trust them don't just do what they say because they because they say it and it's funny because you'll you'll see him with his with his um uh you know on twitter with his profile kind of putting that information out and then um we so one of the other seos where where i work jeff luella is is uh one of the um main contributors and creators of the Reddit tech SEO thread that just had Gary Isles on and Isles. Uh, and I believe Mueller is, as well, uh, poking fun at, it, it, it ran and kind of going back the other way. So one question that I had, because you've mentioned it a, a couple of times in terms of looking up like, Hey, what's Google's official statement on so-and-so or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, should you always trust? Google and take what they say at face value or should you lean more towards Rand or, or somebody or like a Brian Dean or whatever people who are more um, open to testing and, and seeing the results, even if Google says it's complete hogwash. Mm, I think that's a very difficult bridge to cross because nobody can tell if that will bite you six months down the road, two years down the road, five years down the road as a company. And you can cost people millions of dollars with a simple mistake um, made five years ago. And, you know, sometimes when you do these audits for clients, you look at their backlink profile and you're like, did you get a bunch of forum links and do a bunch of spammy stuff back in the early 2000s? And they're like, yeah, I did that myself. (laughs) And it works. And they're so proud of it. And you're like, you know what? I got to go and undo all this now. So, like, honestly, I, I do try to stick a lot to uh, what I can definitively read as like a statement from Google because I think that's provable. I think it's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, you screenshot and you say like, hey, this is exactly what they wrote and that's super easy to, to push through. Um, I personally, I think you should never stop trying new tactics that as long as like, I don't think black hat's the necessarily the right way to go and that's kind of like how some people see it where it's like, I'll go black hat until I get caught. And then I'll address it then and move on. I think everything is gray hat until it either gets into one of those black hat or white hat buckets. And that's kind of where we have to live um, if we want to be ahead of everybody else. So I think white to light gray is, is good to do from a professional stance. I think if you're doing your own SEO and your money's on the line, your website's on the line, go gray, you know? like I think you should constantly test the new tactics. I think if you're like standing still, you're going to be you know, dead in the water a couple of years down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the funny thing is I have a, I have a story related to 
being way in the in the gray and this wasn't through through my fault um when i started way 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 back at rosetta now this is um 2011 and we were working um on a on a big client at that point in time you'll have to listen to my episode to find out who the client was i don't want to make it that (laughs) that easy but if you listen to my story episode you'll know who it was um we had a massive massive team and a, a huge component of that team when I came in was dedicated towards link building and specifically the, I don't want to call it really spammy because we didn't think about it as spammy, but it was guest posting a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, internally, I remember like it being such a machine at that point in time that to get that machine to like stop it, and to have people go like, let's stop and let's actually think about what we're doing and is it valuable for anybody long term? And it took a really, really, really long time to stop that well-oiled machine that was spitting out like three articles per week and getting three links or, or more. I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was it was a lot. Um, and uh, trying to reverse that machine and kind of getting it getting it turned back in the direction of maybe we should be doing things that are a little bit more valuable instead of um, spending time on on this. And uh, honestly, it took about a year to get the. I, I probably could have come in and said, "Nope, we're cutting this immediately." Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took about a year, even internally, and not only that, but with the client to get them on board with this isn't a valuable use of our time, and it actually could be putting you at risk mm-hmm. going forward. We should probably stop. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was that. Now, was, are you talking? Are you talking about like um, uniquely written content, or like throwing it into a content spinner? <laughs> oh no, we didn't do a spinner. We, okay. we actually had writers, but. Uh, Essentially, what had happened was we had writers. Our writers would produce content. We had a team of people that would find sites and make partnerships with this content. The problem was the content was incredibly, incredibly shallow and including like bylines to our to our client or whatever, links to our client um, that were contextually placed, but really going on sites that really just had no business, you know, linking out. No matter how good we thought we were at spinning it, um, our content was it was it was it was unique, but it was garbage. It was shallow. It was it was thin, and it was only for links. And no matter how much we tried to convince ourselves that this content was something that somebody wanted to read, um, that just wasn't the wasn't the case. We were just doing it for mm-hmm. for links. So we, in the end, finally got the team to realize, hey, like we're doing this for all of the all of the wrong reasons, and we need to be focusing our time elsewhere and we're probably putting the client at risk by continuing to do this. Um, yeah, that was my foray into gray, uh, gray hat tactics. And I didn't like it. It felt icky. It just felt, it felt wrong. I've been there. I've been there where there are quotas where it's like, Hey, we need, uh, you know, three guest posts out for this client for this week, or we need, uh, 45 backlinks get to work <laughs> like right. these networks that'll backlink to you for free. If you create a dummy profile and have an alias army of Gmail accounts, I've been there, man. And honestly, I think the longer you get into this, this world, the more senior people you talk to, they've all been through that too. At some stage or another, if they've been doing this for 10 plus years and where that was kind of like what people wanted out of an SEO was somebody who could do these kind of like, like 
almost guarantee money for them, you know, like these right. tactics will guarantee them money. And I, I kind of wonder how, how dumb we look to somebody who gets into this field two years ago, like starting two years ago, where they're like, what were you thinking, man? This is never going to last. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Like it, the problem is it worked. Yeah. It worked. Oh, man. Um, and that was the, that, that, that lies, therein lies the, the problem is that sometimes when you test things that are on the borderline that work, the question is, should you, should you keep doing it? Should mm-hmm. you keep doing it? And what is going to be something that's viable long-term versus something that is, that is not. And I think my motto, um, it's been, it's been evolving over the course of time, but I think of myself as a very practical SEO and a very practical person when it comes to, um, to implementing things. And honestly, like if, if, if I'm talking to a client and we're doing something just for SEO purposes, I'm at the point where I say like, we're doing this only for SEO. Like if don't prioritize it, if Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you're just going to do this recommendation because I said, just do it for SEO, you're going to just write this piece of content on your website because I said, we need it just for SEO. Let's just shelve it. Let's do something else. Let's figure out like if we can't figure out another way to merge what I need from the SEO side with what you think is best for your brand, like let's go do something different. Um, And that's kind of where I've, I've evolved to where I'm really trying to take into consideration what's going on with the brand, what's going on with the customers and, and integrating, you know, what the needs of, of SEO. There's no longer, at least for me, a situation where it's acceptable to do something only for SEO. Mm -hmm. That is, I cannot relate to you enough. I actually love uh, every two weeks I meet with our media team and, uh, you know, we try to contribute content ideas to the pipeline so we can be a fraction of the content production where it's uh, SEO inspired content can make up, you know, one tenth of the content production, one fifteenth uh, in certain weeks, whatever, you know, like just, just to get on that. And I love and hate that I get a lot of feedback on topics I start talking about or like, hey, there's search volume for this. Uh, I've done keyword research and I've grouped these similar topics together and I think if we write, uh, you know, a pretty in-depth article, we could hit, you know, X amount of topics on this list. And they'll be like, that's dumb. Anybody who really knows motorcycles will tell you. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. these are really simple questions that people are asking. And it does not represent us because we're speaking to the moto enthusiast. Right. Um, somebody who just like rolled out and was like, I want to learn about motorcycles today. What is a motorcycle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, these things are like, yeah, there's just so many things out there. Or like my, my, my big one too is like, Right. We have a dirt bike section. So like motocross and dirt bike, the dirt bike is a subcategory of a motorcycle. So if I'm like, Oh, how to change oil on a dirt bike, you know, I'll get feedback where it's like, we've already done a how to change oil on a motorcycle article, you know, dirt bikes type of motorcycle, like, you know, yeah. figure it out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but the words aren't being used on that article and can't really go back and, and work it in there. Cause it kind of changes the whole tone of the article and the copy. It really isn't there. And the imagery and video isn't there to support changing it that way. So, so it's kind of like this middle ground where you butt heads a little bit. And then I think it's a good way of keeping both people in check where it's like, Hey, this is going to drive more eyes to the content you're writing. But they're like, Hey, we don't want to write this content for really good reasons. And I think that's a great, I think that's, that's like the best case scenario you can get. Yeah. And there have been instances where I've pointed, uh, pointed something out and, um, and I'm thinking of one, it's actually with a current client where they have, um, they have kind of um, 
internal brand, like rigorous standards in terms of who they are as a brand. And it's for their industry, it makes a lot of sense and it's uncompromising. So when you suggest something that is on the borderline of that, they'll shoot it down every, every time. Um, and, and they're, they're the good type of client that realizes that they're shooting down a certain amount of potential eyeballs for the sake of maintaining a certain level of esteem as it relates to their, um, to their brand. But there are other clients that will shoot things like that down, but then come back later and be like, Hey, why aren't, why aren't we up? Why, why is SEO traffic down or why are rankings down or why aren't we doing this or that or whatever? So, I mean, it is, um, it certainly is a, is a balance for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so tell me about failures. Like I, 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 I almost in, in on this podcast want to talk more about failures and, and difficulties um, so that, you know, I can help other people who are facing those same types of situations realize like, Hey, this has happened to people that are really experienced in the industry or that are, or are that are really smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not alone. You're never, never alone. So what, what have you run up against where you're like, man, I really like that really sucked or I really regret that or, or man, I just totally bombed that thing. <laughs> yeah. I think there is a list of both successes and failures here, but thinking of some of the bigger ones, you know, um, I honestly wish I kind of stayed in San Francisco a little bit longer. Um, what happened was my father got sick and, you know, he got small cell lung cancer or was diagnosed with that. It was like very sudden. And the 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 percentage of people that pass away within the first 12 months um, is extremely high. It's in the high 90 percentile. He's fine. He's survived. He's taken. He's doing great. It's been years. And um he actually, luckily, uh, he was caught because he fell down at work one day, kind of like mm-hmm. uh, just kind of collapsed. And uh, what happened was the cancer is a super fast running cancer and, and there's a, you know, a tumor in his brain and that's what caused him to collapse. But that's also what probably ended up saving him because it, it, it was a, a visible detection to go yeah. into deeper. So uh, I was uh, I was just out in San Francisco for like a year and a half um, or like about a year at that point, maybe a little bit over that. Um, and... I was planning on going to California for uh, like, I started to Mexico for the holidays. I wasn't even planning on going back for Christmas. I, a last minute ticket. My dad was diagnosed the day after Christmas. And uh, also later that week, I just, I, I was off between Christmas and New Year's. I, I got the call in that my the boutique agency I moved out to San Francisco for was being absorbed by a larger agency and me and uh, three other of my uh, coworkers were going to be moving to that new agency and everybody else was not. <laughs> and that, that was, oh man, that was like a spiral. That and was, that's probably one of my, at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Wow. What that, was that that's like? one of my darker days. <laughs> yeah. Um, and honestly, like I, I was kind of like, man, I was super depressed just, uh, and I left San Francisco and sometimes I think back and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I was really out there for like a year and a half. I feel like maybe I could have, uh, Made, made, made a little bit of effort to just, you know, travel back home a lot more and help out my family. But honestly, you make the decisions you make for a reason. I can't think back uh, and using today's knowledge that my dad's going to be okay to that Dan, you know, that Dan in the past and tell him that yeah. things are going to be fine. So I don't feel that bad about it. But honestly, I like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, I love the energy in San Francisco, especially in the tech space. I, I think it's, it's a super unique culture for America in general and the startup mentality there 
pros and cons, but a lot of times you meet some of the most ambitious people who are super smart and like very quick and on it. Uh, that's one of the big ones. Um, but on like a personal level, like besides the, that, that like personal level on more of like a career level, um, the, their, probably my biggest regret was uh, leaving a company too soon because I felt like I was being advanced too fast and kind of got an imposter syndrome Hmm. Yeah. Next to that. But also there was, there was reasons for that one too. But uh, honestly, I came in pretty low level and uh, people were leaving and not being backfilled on top of me. Um, I think uh, before I started, it was a five person SEO team. By the time I got to it, it was a two person SEO team that also had another two or three support um, in another division. Uh, but honestly, it was, it was a fractured team at that point and, and playing catch up and, when my director left or my associate director left, I was kind of left um, taking the role of sort of entry, almost entry level to director and doing like everything. And, and I was kind of being asked to like partner with other um, Indian content writers um, and, and just kind of being asked to like do things that I knew in my gut wasn't right, but I didn't stand and fight the battle. I just felt like I'm just not qualified for this one. I'm talking to these people who twice my age who've been doing marketing for, for, for their whole lives. And, uh, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to understand why I don't want to use these Indian content writers and, and spin content and, um, you know, get backlinks in shady ways. Uh, and then I was like, it's cause I, it's cause I don't know what I'm talking about yet. I've only been doing this a couple of years and I decided to move on from there. But honestly, the, a big regret is not sticking through and seeing how that could have went because that's honestly like, isn't that the dream? Like, Hey, here's a really great position on your lap. You know, all you got to do is prove yourself for long enough and then you'll probably just escalate up that ladder and hire out and build out your own team. But, uh, that's, that's kind of like a career wise, one of the bigger regrets on my side. I, I think everybody has that. Oh man, I left the wrong, you know, word on a template. An old client got like a client's got CC'd on an email that they shouldn't have been CC'd. Everybody's got that. Everybody. <laughs> That's no. my big one. Um, so you mentioned a couple of a couple of things. Um, you mentioned imposter syndrome. I've I've suffered from that from time to time, and um, I think for me that's why I'm not. It's a big reason why I'm not present more on the on the speaking circuit, kind of out um, out there, is because like there's for me this fear of what if they don't find what I'm saying interesting. Or like, what if I don't have any anything interesting to say? And in, in your case, it was you know it was a little bit of a different situation. But um, I feel like there there are a couple of things: imposter syndrome and depression are can be fairly pervasive in this industry. And um, I, yeah, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why, other than it can be it's a results based business, mm-hmm. and sometimes there is there's a lot of pressure that comes, um, comes along with it. So I, my question for you would be one, why do you think that is? And two, do you really think if you had stayed in a job where you felt like you didn't have enough expertise that just sticking, you would have been able to stick it out and been, have been better off? Mm, that's a good question. Those are really good questions. Um, <clears throat> the first question is, why do I think just SES in general get this sense of imposter syndrome? And, and depression. I think depression's big in this industry too, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely think they're both big in this industry. And I think it's because we actually are very, let's see. I think we know what to do a lot of the time. And we also know the reality of resource limitations and things like that too, or stubborn headed um, people in charge and things like that. So a lot of times you think like, what's the measure of being good at your job? being successful, right? You brought in the dollars for everybody. But honestly, you can make as many recommendations as you want and not bring in the dollars because nobody else adopted them. But then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're still measured on, on like results. You're measured on ROI, you're measured on money, uh, sessions, everything like that. You know, sometimes you feel like you're not really doing your job right. And then sometimes it's, it's fully within your control. Like you just might not have um, picked up on a new tactic and, uh, um, and then utilized it properly for your client and you, you realize it later on that year and you're just like, man, I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this job. Like I, I missed a huge opportunity for this client. They could have been making money the past six months, hand over fist. And like, honestly, I, I, I dropped the ball here. And I think it's really easy to point, point at yourself and be like, I messed up here. You know, I'm not ready for this. Everybody else is crushing it at their job. Um, and it's, it's, it's constantly changing industry. So it's like so easy for that to happen where it's like, Hey man, do you catch that last Google update? Which one? Early February? No, no, mid February. Like, like, okay, like it's so easy to just be like, no, I missed it. Like, so sorry. Like, and then you feel like you dropped it. I, I think earlier on, I, I definitely worked long hours um, when I was on the agency side a lot because of my like nature of wanting to always know the right answer and have the right answer. Uh, pro and con, right? Like those long hours, I can't get them back. But at the same time, it also probably escalated my career by being that person who who didn't get hit by as much depression because I felt like I was a little bit more in control. I felt like I was on it because I did the research. I did the legwork, you know, I read the blogs and stuff like that. So like, I think that's a big part of it just in general. Um, does that, does that help on that front? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just interested in exploring this because like, I feel like it's, it's not something that people talk about every, every SEO podcast and digital marketing podcast. It's all like the, the race to, see who can show how much they know and who knows the most and who what's the most advanced and up-to-date tactic. And I feel like nobody turns it on its head and says, let's talk about the people that do this job and the things mm-hmm. that they go through day to day, which is why I'm doing it. Um, and another thing I wanted to, I wanted to get back to is when you were at that job in San Francisco and you, you were feeling this and you said, and honestly, when you were saying it, it struck me as odd um, that you were feeling imposter syndrome in this job and like nobody was going to believe you, but you regret leaving too early because you felt like if you would have just stuck. But my question is what makes you think it would have gotten better Mm. if you would have just stuck? Yeah. Um, I mean, advice given to me is like, you can't keep a good man down. So I got that a little bit later in life when I was going through about my own like level of depression, uh, just life wise. And honestly, I think it's super good advice. Um, and now that I'm older, I really do see that where it's like, uh, not just the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but honestly, like the person now I feel like I could present an argument better just in general. I wish I didn't spend so much time on that type of learning, but more on the business side of learning of, uh, being, a corporate person, you know, in general. And, and um, I honestly think sales is like a huge thing that trains you up to kind of 
have less imposter syndrome because you're going in there and you really do know the most about this subject in the room. So really they're not, you're talking, you're not talking to other marketers about it. You're talking to maybe a CEO who is really good at fashion, knows nothing about SEO. Yep. Doesn't even know what, like, uh, what half the pages on his site are, you know, and you are the smartest person in that room in SEO go in there and, you know, just tell him what, what he needs to hear or she needs to hear. So how do you get that confidence? I think it's uh, I think it, it comes with being battle tested. <laughs> I think uh, you get so many questions and you see not just how somebody who might be with you answers them, who might be more experienced than you, but you also see how you would think about them and you would answer them. And honestly, don't stop thinking about it. You know, later that night, it might hit you and you're like, ah, I wish I said that. And guess what? That's five clients sometime later that year are probably going to ask you something similar. So now you're just more prepared than ever. So, you know, after a long enough time, you feel like you've heard a lot of those questions. And honestly, when you don't, um, somebody comes to you with something completely new. It's a, it's like an exciting thing too. Cause you're like, all right, I don't know the answer. Let me, let me find out for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah. The funny thing was I, I was just talking with one of my colleagues today and we were talking about an upcoming presentation and uh, he's, he's had some experience, but a little bit less experience in the industry. And he was nervous, nervous. Um, And it's, I think it's normal. I think it's normal to be nervous when it comes to speaking, speaking in front of um, higher ups at a, at a business. But like you said, it's, uh, it's just a matter of um, getting enough at, at bats Um, And there's a certain amount of like, you can go watch somebody do it. And there's a certain amount that you can absorb. But until you're up there taking the swings yourself, um, there's a certain amount that you can only learn by by doing and um, you can prepare yourself and you can be as prepared as possible and have speaking notes and, um, you know, things that you know, you want to go in and say, or you can try to anticipate all the questions. Um, But the chances are you're going to be better the 10th time than the second time. Absolutely. I think, um, I think a big part of like, uh, what got me into a level where I could even feel imposter syndrome was because I sold insurance beforehand and I kind of had a little bit of backbone because I was making 400 calls a day, cool. not necessarily cold calling, but it was a list of repeated calls and people yelling at you. <laughs> it was pretty rough. That was like three days a week was that. And then you booked appointments for the two days, remaining two days. So you can go visit them in person and literally have people like look through the blinds and be like, nope. <laughs> and you'd be like, Hey, we had a call earlier this week and we scheduled this appointment. And you know, that's, that's, that's like the nice people doing that, you know, right, people right. were like, Oh my God, go back to your own country. It's like, no man, I was born like three towns over. <laughs> you know, like it's really weird to, to hear you say that. Like, uh, you know, so that, that kind of gave me a backbone. And honestly, one of my CEOs was like, you're the most fearless person I've ever seen. Cause we just got out of this huge sales pitch and you know, like everybody was nervous preparing for the sales pitch except for me. And like, I was like, what are they going to do? Jump across the table and beat me up. Like beat us up. Like they literally couldn't hurt you. Like, these people can give you their business or they don't, they don't have to give you their business, but there's going to be another call in a week. There's going to be another sale in a week, you know, like, and, and he was like, how are you? You're so young and so fearless at this. I was like, it's cause I've been yelled at like multiple times a day for like, for like, like weeks on end or months on end. And like, you know, I've had to put myself in that hot seat where like, you know, somebody does pick up and talk to you and then you realize like you're, you're nervous, you're shaking. You're just like, Oh my God, finally somebody picked up. Like I get to talk to you about Medicare supplement packages now. Oh, A through J. Like, let me get into this. <laughs> like, Oh man, 
that to me was like, that's what kind of got me, I think, in the early stages of my career to get into like a level where I felt confident enough to, to, to go up to bat about my ideas. But then ultimately when I was in a room where I was like, I haven't been a marketer nearly as long as any of these other people, that's when it settled in a little bit. Yeah. So my, um, one of my other colleagues who I've, I've mentioned a couple of times, Brian Dean, when, when things get heavy, um, Brian does a great job of like putting everything into perspective. So the, I guess the advice I would, I would give to people when, when things are starting to get heavy in the workplace and you're getting stressed out is he always says this, this is verbatim. We're not curing cancer. It's just marketing. <laughs> I love it. Just marketing. So it's puts great. everything right in perspective. The viral away message where it's like, Hey, I'm on a beach hanging out somewhere. I'm not answering my work emails. That's just kind of how this works. <laughs> it's like so good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, who's been your biggest mentor in the industry? Uh, in the industry, I would have to say um, on a non-personal level, like Matt Cutts and Rand Fishkin, huge. Yeah. Uh, the knowledge base there is great. Um, like on a personal level, I really feel like uh, one of my early on um, associate directors uh, at Digitas was someone who really, who trained me and almost grew me on the professional side of SEO because I was still fairly young. And um, just in general, he definitely, he knew how to not just, you know, walk the walk, but he also just could also talk the talk and got people to buy in things like that too. And I saw how he would do that. And it wasn't always through facts and stuff. Like he, he attended a lot of things where I feel like he just asked the right questions during a meeting, kind of put people on the spot, just the right amount, you know, yeah. we got everybody in that room thinking. And I was like, how do I get more of that? You know, how do I, how do I become the person who doesn't have to like literally just pound in and, and repeat what I'm, what I know is right to try and get it across the table. Who, so who was that person? Uh, that was my uh, boss at Digitas Health, Ulrich uh, Gillot. Okay. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's working overseas now. Um, last, uh, he's Belgian in nature. Um, but I, I think the last time he might've been around Germany or, or in England somewhere, <laughs> I have to catch up with him. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, that's funny. So like, I feel like nowadays there's, when I, when I work on a client, the challenge isn't coming up with things to improve upon. There are always a bunch of opportunities for every site that exists. The challenge is how to get it implemented. And psychologically, like just like you said, this person just knew how to push people's buttons in the right way to get them moving in the direction that you needed them to move in to, to do what you needed them to do from an SEO perspective. And I feel like from a, it, I don't know, I do know what it's like in, in-house because that can be, it's, it's a similar battle, but just a little bit different. Um, but on the agency side, it's trying to figure out how you can work through your clients to get them to buy into your ideas. Um, and sometimes there's there's a, a certain amount of psychology that, that goes along with that and knowing how to read people um, and how to, or, or, or what things trigger or motivate people and how to talk to people um, and just understanding personalities and, and how you're going to, to be able to work together to get the most out of each other. That's, I think, the biggest, in my opinion, the, the biggest art form that I think you learn as you get deeper into, into your career because the recommendations, like, 
recommendations stay the same. I was saying, hey, we should do schema three years ago. Schema's still important. Mm-hmm. Every site should do that, but the, um, the people change and the personalities change and your ability to facilitate things through them, that, uh, that's what has to really, really adapt. It's not, like you said, just re-screaming your recommendations over and over and over again until somebody finally listens. It's stopping and figuring out, okay, I've said that I've made this recommendation five times. Why aren't, why isn't it like resonating with them? Okay. What do I have to do? How do I have to say it differently or present it differently to get them to buy in and actually do it? Is there another way I have to go about this? And for me, that's been like, if I'm like, if I find that I'm running up against a wall and I actually just was running up against a wall for the last several months with a, with, one client in particular where I was like, I've got all these recommendations. You haven't done anything with them. And then I stopped and said, all right, what else can we do? Like, is there another way around this? And for Mm -hmm. us, it was like, all right, just, we realize you're busy. Give us the access to the CMS. We'll go do it for you. Um, So it's figuring out things like, which the client in that case, in this case was more than willing to do. And have been great if we would have been able to do it months ago <laughs> but it was a situation where we were like we've got to figure out another way to get this done um yeah it's so, the best feeling when people just let you yeah. do <laughs> what you right, want right right so, so that that went way off track we were talking about <laughs> mentors um well, yeah. so, so it, who who i guess outside of kind of the the main people in that one person are there is there anybody else that you feel has been responsible for kind of helping you along in your career? Yeah, honestly, I, I kind of racked my brain over this one a little bit because I, I see so many people as mentors. I can think of these specific conversations where I'm like, you've taught me something new. And I honestly, I think if you're working at a place where you don't learn something new in like six months, like every six months from somebody there, like you might want to look around a little bit just to, just to you know, keep your options open and, and try and always see, stay hungry a little bit. Um, I think the best couple I can think of um, were from my early days at LexisNexis Martindale Hubble, where, um, you know, like I mentioned, there's like huge team of 40 SEOs or so. Um, Matt Ramos, he was working on a website for um, um, Frisbee Discs. <laughs> and uh, he was one of the, him and uh, another guy, Andrew Saladino, um, whose family uh, were the kitchen cabinet kings of New Jersey. They, they did a, he was doing all their in-house marketing kind of stuff um, and, and doing it with his brothers. Uh, th- those were the two guys who were my age, who were doing it, working full-time, SEOing for, for lawyers. But then they went home and they just, they were grinding it out, making their name, claim, like they were getting affiliate money way before that seemed like a big thing. And, and that kind of like blew my mind a bit where I was like, Oh man, I remember the first time Andrew talked to me about Fiverr.com. He's like, you got to find, you got to look at this. I got this guy juggling like flaming, like uh, sticks, reciting a paragraph. I told him shop kitchen cabinet Kings.com. <laughs> like, like, like wow. he, it only cost me $5. And like we had to reschedule cause it rained twice and he couldn't do it in the rain cause they're flaming. And I was like, what, what is this? And he's what? like, yeah, I'm doing it for the backlinks and like I'm doing it for the viral content and all this other stuff that were like completely unique concepts. And this is a decade ago, you know, this is like nine years ago where it's like fiber.com. Yeah. You know, nobody knew about it back then. And and those people were like huge influences on me Um, from kind of just like the being brave standpoint, honestly, the guy who uh, taught the class for the insurance test 
taught me all about like professionalism Mm -hmm. and uh, being more confident and everything like that and being prepared. You know, he's like, uh, he, he, he was huge. He's like, make sure you pack your bag the night before. So you don't even have to think about it like the next day. And I've, I've done that for every client I've ever had in the agency life where I have every connector in my backpack. I have my power, like the power source. I have a printout of what I'm going to talk about in case the laptop messes up because like the worst thing would be if you walked into that, he was like, if the reason you don't get what you want was because you were lazy the night before, you're going to kick yourself for the rest of your life, you know, like just stop being lazy. It's unacceptable. And like that, that to me like fostered this whole mentality of like, it's unacceptable to be like mentally or physically lazy when in the pursuit of something else, you know, Uh, don't let yourself get in your way. That's right. And I saw something the other day, it costs nothing to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Costs, costs, like nothing. costs nothing except a little bit of your, a little bit of your time. Um, I forget exactly where I saw that. There was like a big list of um, somebody who put together a tweet that were like, here are all of the things that it costs nothing to do. Like be nice to people, be kind, be prepared, don't be lazy, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really important advice, but unfortunately it's really hard to teach um, it's really hard to teach. Uh, you know, I find that like you can't teach caring, um, mm-hmm. sometimes. And if you don't care about something, it's hard to start automatically, <laughs> automatically caring. It's, it's, um, I think it's a learned behavior over the course of, over the course of time, but it costs nothing. It costs nothing. Um, so what's your favorite SEO tactic? What's, what's the thing that's working for you right now? Right now, um, tons and tons of great content. (laughs) But um, let's see, other than that, uh, I I think that's always a standby, right? That's the answer for everybody. It should always be because that's the, that's what drives all of our lives. Um, Right. But honestly, I've been looking at server logs. I I stayed at work a half hour later than I even realized today, even though we had this at nine, I was looking at one of our server log tools called Datadog and it it warehouses like a month's worth of data. Um, and, and, uh, I was just poking around. I was looking at, uh, Bing bots, crawls, uh, you know, like ping star server. I was like, Oh, what is this a 404 somewhere? And like, I just started getting into it. Cause like I have had very limited experience with the tool. Um, I think server logs are really interesting cause I'm weird. <laughs> and, uh, I, I just think like a lot of that stuff is like behind the scenes and like we can do fetch and renders and stuff like that. And we can see what Google will spit back to us with all these like tools that they own and, you know, but honestly, sometimes you just got to look at like facts, not handed, like the real facts from your own information first. And I think that's really cool. I'm looking forward to learning all about how I can use that even more to my advantage. And I think that's going to be the next level tool for me that like I think is going to be doing more because I've already found, you know, um, parts of the site that were wasting crawl budget or like things that are super just tucked away there that you wouldn't have known from that. And I think that's what really gives you that little bit of competitive edge when you start getting hyper competitive. And it's not just like title tags and meta descriptions anymore. Oh and, my gosh, yeah. Search and just pounding that out, you know, like, yeah. That. And, uh, oh man, I'm, I'm really trying to get more into, um, site speed's huge for me, but I also want to res- like, I know everything looks at like, 4G and some things look at 3G, a little bit of limited capacity there, um, like with Lighthouse and stuff like that too. But uh, honestly, I think uh, remembering that not everybody has super fast internet is also a tactic out there. And remembering to reverse engineer or, or kind of like um, make sure that 
in your pursuit of being like super modern, super fast, everything like that, you don't leave those people behind because they also love to consume information and they love buying things and they get super frustrated when just like anybody else with a slow site. So, so definitely don't, don't, don't leave them in the dust. You know, I have had, and I, I told this story, um, can't remember when I've had digital marketing teams for really, really big clients. This was four years ago, laugh me out of a room when I said, if you improve your site speed by three seconds, you will get a billion extra dollars. Mm-hmm. Laugh me out of the room. Like that, it's, it's shocking that even four years later, it's still difficult to convince people to, to actually fix it, to mm-hmm. actually take it seriously when they're redesigning their site. It's almost like the last thing that they consider. Well, I should say sometimes SEO is almost the last thing that they consider in, in site speed shortly, shortly in front of that. Um, it, it's, it's hugely, hugely important, and you're right. Um, you know, even in this modern age that we live in, there are still lots of uh, places uh, within within the U.S. and within other countries that are that are on these older connections or uh, the connections where they don't have the bandwidth to handle uh, what people are trying to deliver with their with their website. And um, but it's one of the it is one of those things where I just can't understand why people aren't taking it seriously. Um, why they won't prioritize, and it, and it is really hard because site speed's a complex thing. Um, but I just I don't understand why people don't prioritize it when there's just so much m- extra money to be made by mm-hmm. just Im- improving your improving your load time or testing accelerated mobile pages or whatever whatever it may be. But to take it seriously, I just mm-hmm. been a, that's been a personal struggle of mine. <laughs> I think it's super hard because it's a it's one of those where you can't just hand over all everything on a silver platter, you know, too, where it's like, this is an ongoing project to improve your site speed. It's not a one and done. And people shy away from that for some reason. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially when it comes to like, if you're dealing with a system where there are a lot of people touching content and you've got a lot of people uploading images who don't know anything about image optimization or stuff like that. It's, it's complex to maintain, but it is really, really important. Um, so what tools, what are like, what are the tools of the trade? You mentioned the log file analyzer. What other tools do you like to use? Um, I know you love them, but Ahrefs, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, I remember doing it awesome. uh, when I started at Revzilla and I was like, they made it <laughs> like, yeah. like we've had them since the beginning of my working there. Um, I love, uh, stat get stat. You know, Canadian. Yeah, we're moving on to that. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I actually find their SERP analysis tools. Um, I find like out about updates way before I start reading about them on sites because I'm so like inundated with like, uh, with, with like what's happening in the SERPs right now in our space. Just the past two years have been nuts. So like I keep such a close eye on that and that's a day to day tracker. So it actually screen grabs and they'll actually like, um, uh, it's, it's really helpful because also from an agency side, I would totally recommend it because it, it warehouses historic data since, yeah. you, since you start. So uh, literally you can show people trending data of, oh man, like this is how Google is changing over time. And it is definitely hurting our click-through rates by this much. Like it, it's just got a lot to that. Um, of course I use GA, Google Search Console, 
Um, but with Google Search Console, I actually love using the Analytics Edge um, add-on to my Excel, which lets me pull out hundred thousand queries, like hundreds of thousands of queries. Like I get way beyond that thousand query limit. Um, so I, I actually manually warehouse that on like a, a monthly basis. So I have a backlog going back from um, maybe like four months into when I started at Revzilla. And I only found out about the tool when I was there too. So like, I've just got like so much history on um, click impression, average position data, click through rate data, all this stuff. And I cut up that data on a regular basis. Um, even today I was doing an opportunity analysis, look at um, CTR, like below 5% position below six uh, below position six impressions over like 600 uh, for a quarter. And like, I just got a whole list right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is a focus list as an opportunity analysis. That's like, should be uh, top priority. Let's, let's cut out the first 500 and see like what's happening here. And literally the first one, me and uh, my coworker, Roger, we looked into, we're like, we could have done so much better on this page. Like, yeah. This one's our bad. We 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 <laughs> dropped the ball because like with a re, a redesign of the site, we had to um, not orphan a ton of pages. <laughs> so we lost a lot of internal linking and we threw it all into the copy block at the bottom and it just looks spammy, man. Yeah. It was like copy block, uh, list of links, read more. Once you click that, read more, two more paragraphs to copy. And we were just like, oh my God, like we got to do this all the time now. <laughs> Like, yeah. no wonder we're ranking in, like, fourth for this term when we should be in second. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's, you know, over time, that's tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know. Yeah, that's, that's insane. So, Analytics Edge, is, and you said that's a, a browser plugin? No, that's actually an Excel plugin. Excel, so, that's, Excel plugin. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, you, you buy the, um, I go with the pro version, which is like $75 a year, and then you get a connector. So I got the GSC connector, which is like 50 bucks a year. So it's for like 125 bucks. Yeah, and that use case was so much. Uh, honestly fascinating uh, looking at, now a lot of people would be satisfied with a number four rank, but it seems like, especially in, I know when I was in-house, you had the time and the opportunity to focus and go really deep on, on things like this, um, looking at the difference between what, you know, where you were at number four, where you could have been at number two, and what you thought you needed to do to get there. And it sounds like this was a really powerful tool for identifying lots of those types of opportunities. And that's like that's the type of stuff that I personally love about this job and love diving, diving into kind of the, uh, not just the analysis, but the micro analysis and watching things, you know, as things move up, watching visits track in incrementally revenue come in incrementally. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the type of stuff that I find interesting and rewarding and still engaging about this job. Yeah, I love it too. And, and just like and, and from your own experience too, you definitely see the world of keywords that one page can drive, you know, ranking for a thousand plus keywords. Yeah. Those little things. The position four to position two is one thing. A thousand keywords moving up a position or two, that's another thing completely <laughs> where like that's one of those things where you got to explain why the effort has to go into some things. You know, like, yeah. I mean, why is there a... a, a four-week audit process. Well, you know, because we're looking for stuff like this, you know? Like, yeah. we want to find these opportunities, and it's not just, hey, we got you to the position one for that keyword that you Google every every single day, 
whatever I see, uh, whatever CEO out there, you know, cause I've had clients like who Google the same 10 words every single day. And like, it's such a battle to be like, that's a drop in the bucket. You don't know how much money you're missing out by not letting us do this like audit and take the necessary steps to get you in a good place. Yeah. So if somebody is, you know, coming out of college or not coming out of college and just thinking about getting into digital marketing or SEO in 2019, what's the advice you would give them? I would say um, definitely stay humble because you don't know everything (laughs) because the best out there don't know everything. The people who've been doing this for their entire professional careers don't know everything because something new is happening every, every day, something very specific to a a niche, like a niche market is happening every day. Um, so, you know, stay humble. Don't, don't think you're, don't think you're the end all be all. You have all the advice out there in the world and, and always be willing to learn. Um, like you remember earlier we were talking about how, how much it sucks when somebody kind of comes to you with new, it's a good and a bad thing when somebody comes to you with like, Hey, what's this tactic? I've read about this in some blog somewhere, you know, that's going to happen. And if you're not humble about it, you're going to let, your ego get in the way of you furthering your own education on that topic and be like, no, 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 you don't know what you're talking about. And kind of shut it down. And that, that, that kind of sucks. Um, and then other than that advice is going to be, be brave, you know, realize that the boss out there or the client across the table is not going to jump across the table and slap you. They're not going to, they're not going to punch you in the face. You know what? They might get mad at you. They might raise their voice. Um, but you know, don't let them treat you bad just because of who they are. You know, don't let people yell at you at work or anything like that. You know, that's, that's an HR thing, but, uh, honestly, don't be scared of people. Like we're all people and good, bad, we're everything, we're everything in between, and honestly, you know what? You don't want that client yelling his head off because he doesn't understand an audit. Let them go, you know? Yeah. Did you want to work with them for a year? <laughs> like that one year long contract, was it worth fighting for and losing sleep over so you can get yelled at for that year? Like, just let it go. <laughs> and then that's let great advice. them bury, you know, kind of dig their own grave. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great advice. Um, so where can people find you? Uh, let's see. I am not super big on like my own site stuff. You can find me on um, LinkedIn pretty easily. It's just Daniel Ang. You found me pretty easily. Yeah. I'm on. Uh, I'm. Tr- I took a hiatus off of social media too for a while. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just getting back into like Instagram and Facebook. So I'm a pretty open book out there. Um, my Instagram handle is the Green Dantern because <laughs> in middle school. How do you, how do you spell that? <laughs> the uh, Green uh, Dantern. Yeah. Okay. Like instead of Green Lantern. And okay, it's just like right. something from middle school where my buddy was like, oh man, your name rhymes with all the superheroes. Batman, Bad Dan, Super Dan. The only one that doesn't work is the Green Lantern. And I was like, the Green Dantern. And then like, it just kind of stuck with me after that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Thank you for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. It is 1030. Um, <laughs> Definitely, definitely appreciate it, but definitely also want to let you jump off and um, and get some sleep. So really appreciate it. Come on. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for having me on again, Jay. Yep. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page 2 podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated. If you're an SEO who would like to be interviewed, I'd love to have you. Simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up. Until next time, happy optimizing.